Okay, we're continuing our series in Galatians, and we're getting towards the end of the book. And uh, I think a question that everyone wants to know is, how do I overcome sin? How do I change? Is, is change really even possible? Can, can you and I really change in this life? I can think back to when I, whenever I was in high school, and that question was a very real question to me. I, I knew I was a Christian and a follower of Christ, but I really had the question, can I really change? Is real change possible in this life? And so the question we're looking at today is, how do we change? How do we grow? How does that process take place? You see, whenever you guys come, in, come into this room, we always talk about the need to change. Um, I start yelling at you guys about how you're all sinners and you're, you're a bunch of pagan, heathen people and need to change. And I'm speaking to myself as well when I say that, just so you know. Uh, but we're always saying that we need to change. But where we fall short so often is we never tell you how to change. We never lay out what God has laid out for us in Galatians 5. This passage tells us how it is that we change. There are some, uh, some wrong ways people try to change. You may have heard these before. Maybe you've tried these before. Uh, some wrong ways people try to change is the, the just say no method. Um, this started back in the I think 80s when they had this drug campaign. Say, just say no. Someone offers you drugs, just say no. Just, just say no. It's that simple, you know. And you can translate that to other things in your life. If someone offers you something that's sinful, you just say no. Whenever you're tempted to look at pornography, just, just say no. Tempted to gossip, just say no. It's just that simple, right? But let's be really honest. That method doesn't answer a real question that most of you have, and that question is, why? Why should I say no? Okay? So it falls short. The second method people try is this. Just work really hard at being good. Work, put in tons of effort, exert tons of energy. Just work really hard at being a loving person, an obedient person, a joyful person. If someone says, yeah, you're really, you're really kind of a downer. You're really kind of a negative person. You need to fix that in your life. And you're going, okay, I'll go work really hard at that. I'll just... I'll just really concentrate and strain with all my energy to fix that part of myself. But here's the problem with that. You're relying completely on your own strength. It's all you. And so if you fail or you succeed, you only have yourself to blame and you're only yourself to glorify if you do succeed. And so this one falls short as well. The third one is uh, really interesting. This is the person that says, just let it happen. Just let change happen. This is like the mysterious person that sort of, their head's always in the clouds. They just are very, you know, hard to pin down. And, and, you, and you wonder why their life hasn't changed since they became a Christian. And they typically have this mindset. They just think, well, just let it happen. I mean, God's in my life. I mean, if, if he needs to change me, he'll just change me. I'm just this passive person, and God needs to just do his work, and I'm just going to sit here and wait till he does it. All of these methods are really close to the truth and really close to being good ways to grow, but they all fall short in some way. The just let it happen person doesn't understand that there needs to be some real intentionality, some real effort not to be saved, but some, real, some things that you actually do that can cause some growth in your life, even though God's the one that's causing the growth. So here's a question at your tables for discussion. 
Which one of these methods do you feel like you lean toward? And where have you learned that from? Maybe parents, maybe other friends, maybe other people that have told you when you're struggling, you know, hey, just, just say no, or just change just kind of happens, or just work really hard at change in your life and you'll see it happen. Go ahead and discuss that for a few minutes. Okay, how, how many of you guys uh, would buy into the just say no mentality? That's what you've been taught mainly in your life. You're tempted to say no. That's how you approach things. No one? Or a few people? Okay. How about uh, the just work really hard? Okay. How about just let it happen? Just let it happen. Okay. So we're split probably more 50-50 between the work really hard and just let it happen uh, people. Um, We're going to look at Galatians chapter 5. Look at verse 16. And this passage opens up a a whole different perspective on how we change as Christians. In fact, this, this, this passage convicted me so personally this week as I read through it and looked through it. Galatians chapter 5, verse 16 through 26. We're going to start in verse 16. Here's what it says. Paul writes, So I say, live by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the sinful nature. For the sinful nature desires what is contrary to the Spirit, and the Spirit what is contrary to the sinful nature. They are in conflict with each other, so that you do not do what you want. He's saying that all of us have these two desires. You have the sinful nature and the spirit. But you're not born with these two desires. I want to be really clear about this. You are born with a sinful nature. You don't have the Holy Spirit in your life yet. You are born into sin. You're born with a sinful nature. And what happens when you become a Christian is that God literally sends the Holy Spirit part of the Trinity to indwell you. And when that happens, there is something in you that sparks, God has sparked a change, a transformation inside your heart to where you start to want what God wants. And and so this, this new spirit, this transformed part of you starts to conflict with the old sinful nature. It doesn't completely cancel out the old nature. It doesn't completely get rid of it. But it starts to to fight with that other part of you. Okay? In fact, you might even see it like this. The the sinful nature is kind of like this big monster that lives inside of you. And what you think to yourself is, well, I have this desire to do this or that. And if I just give in this one time, then the desire is going to go away. But that never happens. Right? In fact, as you feed this monster, the monster gets bigger more powerful, more overbearing. It controls you even worse than before. And so this sinful nature, it's like the more you feed it with sin, the bigger it gets, the more powerful it gets. And even when you think you're going to get rid of the desire by participating in certain sinful acts, then the desire gets even worse and more powerful. 
And so most of us try to change by just not doing sinful things. We just say, well, you're just not supposed to do this, this, and this. I'm just not going to do those things. I'm going to try really hard not to do those things. But that never works. Never works. So how do we grow? How do we change? How do we, how do we keep from sin? Look at verse 16. I want you to look at that verse really carefully. What is Paul saying is it that keeps us from sin? In verse 16. The Spirit? What about the Spirit? What does he say for us to do with the Spirit? He says, live by the Spirit. Okay, so here's... Okay, so that's the answer. Alright, that's the answer. Live by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the sinful nature. We can all go home now. That's the answer. It's really simple. Just live by the Spirit, right? Just live by the Spirit. But of course the question is, what does that mean? How do we do that? The rest of the passage here tells us more about this. Here's an example. If, 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 uh, if you're trying to um, not go east, if someone says, don't drive east on this highway, there's a storm up ahead. There's a couple of ways to not drive east. You could stay where you are, but the storm might come after you. Or you could drive west. As long as you're driving west, you're never going to be driving east at any point, right? As long as you're standing up, you can't really sit down and stand up at the same time, right? And so, yeah, it's true that as you're, as you're living by the Spirit, it's going to be impossible to carry out the desires of the sinful nature. Okay? But it, but it also goes a lot deeper than this. It's not just, okay, well, as long as I'm living by the Spirit, I can't carry out the desires of the sinful nature. It's not just as simple as that. It's a lot deeper than that. In fact, here's what I think Paul is saying here. When you are living by the Spirit, even your desires change. So it's not just that walking this direction keeps me from walking that direction, but it's that whenever I walk this direction, I start to desire that direction even less. And so when the Holy Spirit enters you, it changes even your desires so that you want to do what God wants you to do. You start to desire that direction even more than the sinful direction. Look at verse uh, 17. The closing phrase of verse 17, he says that these these two conflicts, sinful nature and the spirit, they're in conflict with each other. And you all know it. You you know it's there. You, You sense it in yourself. And he says at the end of verse 17, he says, So that you do not do what you want. Now wait a second. I thought that what we want is sin, right? I mean, that's sin is appealing. There's no question about that. I'm never going to tell you guys that sin's not appealing because it is. Of course it is. But I thought that what we really, I thought that what we want is sin. But Paul is saying something really profound here. He's saying these two natures conflict so that you do not do what you really want. I want to have you think of it like this. You can think of it like what I want versus what I really want. I heard a guy a while back say something like this. He said, uh, he was a speaker and he had this analogy. He said that um, you take the issue of pornography... Guys are visually wired, 
and God created us that way, but so often in a guy, that visual wiring can go in a bad direction, and they start looking at pornographic images, and so what, what anybody can be drawn into that, but what happens is, if you were to ask the question, okay, what do you want? Well, most people would say, well, I want to look at that. And there's a part of you that does. There's a part of you that really does want to do that. But if you look a little bit deeper, there is another desire in you as a Christian that's a deeper desire, a deeper want. And that deeper want is that you want to be able to look your future wife or husband in the eye one day and say, I've lived a pure life. I've lived, I've waited for you in every area of my sexuality. And and, and I want to give that to you. And, and there's a deeper want that you have. There's a, there's a deeper desire that you have, and that is to follow God's plan, to follow His way for your life, because you know that is the best way for you to live. So the question, we come to the question again, what does it mean for us to walk in the Spirit? What does it mean to, to live in the Spirit? Here's what I think Paul wants us to get out of this. Uh, first of all, to walk in the Spirit, I think, first of all, you have to identify the why behind your sin. In other words, I think most of us, we just look at sin very surface. We look at it like, okay, you just don't do that. You just don't do this. You don't do that. And I think what Paul wants us to get is that if you're going to really walk in the Spirit, you first have to identify why it is that you do what you do. So a good question to ask yourself. You know what sins you struggle with. Instead of just thinking to yourself, I'm just a bad person. I'm just a horrible person. I just need to stop doing these things. Ask yourself the question. Ask yourself the question, why? Why am I struggling with this? What is it that I'm really looking for with this? If you're a person who gossips and slanders other people, ask yourself the question, what is it that I'm looking for as I do this thing? If you're a person who does delve into pornography, ask yourself the question, what is it deep inside of me that I'm looking for spiritually identify the why behind our sin secondly move away from sin now there's a there's a very real sense in which we have to kind of move away from sinful situations and that might mean uh, turning off getting rid of the internet it might mean cutting off certain relationships that are leading us astray it might mean breaking up with a girlfriend or boyfriend there is a very real sense that you might have to move away from something or someone to get away from the sin and sort of cut that out of your life thirdly but, but don't just stop there don't just stop at moving away from the sin thirdly move towards Christ move towards Christ now I know this sounds really uh, like a great idea okay move toward what does that mean what does it mean to move towards Christ here's what it means that you look at him and you pray to him and you say that you pray to God and say God help me to find my ultimate satisfaction in you Because it's only when I find my satisfaction in you that walking that direction is going to seem less desirable, less pleasurable, and be less appealing. It's only when you you see Christ as that that that, that sin starts to wane. Yeah, the desire never goes away completely, but the desire isn't as overpowering, isn't as overbearing in your life. So this raises another really good question. If, if living by the Spirit gives me victory over sin, then why do we still struggle? Why do we still struggle if, 
if living by the Spirit does give us victory over sin? This is a question that I struggle with immensely my entire life. Just, just wondering, God, do we, ever, do we ever progress? Do we ever grow? Do we ever gain control of ourselves? Why do we still struggle? I want you to see how this works. I think some of you guys might, might think that, that victory has to look a certain way in your life, in this life. And I think that this, these words, the words of Paul kind of frees us up a bit. Here's how this works. When you are tempted in whatever situation it might be in, here's what you do. You turn toward God, you confess the sin, but you also tell God, God, I want to find my ultimate satisfaction in you. Help me to, to find these other things less desirable and to find you more desirable. But don't stop there. When you turn to God... In that moment, ask Him for the victory. Ask Him to give you victory in that moment. And so put yourself in whatever situation you might find yourself in, a very tempting situation. Something comes across your path and and you want to gaze, you want to look, or if you're tempted to gossip or slander someone else, in that moment you catch yourself and you say, God, I need your Holy Spirit's power in my life. Give me the victory in this moment over the sin. But guess what? Tomorrow, there's going to be another battle. And another, and another, and another. And so what happens is, the Holy Spirit gives you victory when you ask Him for it in that moment. But tomorrow, there's going to be another battle, and another battle, and another battle, and another battle. And the question is, are you going to keep walking? Are you going to keep on tapping into the power of the Holy Spirit continuously? Of course you're going to fail sometimes. But are you going to keep walking? Are you going to keep struggling? I feel like the failure of most people spiritually is that after a while they just give up and say, okay, I keep failing, I can't do this. I can't do this. And you're right, you can't do this. But the Holy Spirit has been given to you in your life to be a powerful source for you. So that whenever you pray and you ask Him for the victory in that moment, He gives it to you. He gives it to you. The Holy Spirit, in a sense, blocks the sinful nature when you allow Him to. He's there waiting for you to ask Him in that way. Look at verse uh, 18. He says, But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under law. Here's what Paul is saying in verse 18. When the Spirit is leading, you are obeying God not because you have to, but because you want to. We mentioned this last week. When the Spirit has changed you, has transformed you, you are being led by Him. You are obeying God not because you have to, but because you want to. This completely changes how you look at the Christian faith. Look at verse uh, 19. He says, uh, in verse 19, he says, The acts of the sinful nature are obvious. And he lists all the sins here. Paul is saying... That, that sin is obvious to most people. But, but just in case you're clueless, just in case you don't know, let me tell you what sin is. And it is true. It's true that, that sin is obvious to, to many people. In fact, if you, if you know the guy that, that you might know that is the bad boy or the bad girl, it's not that they're bad because they think they're being good. They, they know it's bad. They know what sin is, and that's why they chase it, because they want to be known as the bad boy, the bad girl, right? In fact, my, my son, um, yesterday, even at 
He's not even two years old yet, but even at that age, he knows what is right and what is wrong. In fact, what he'll do with me is uh, if I look at him and say, Landon, don't, don't do that. Don't touch that. Don't do that. He will get this look in his face, almost like he's possessed by something else. And he will walk over to whatever it is I said don't touch. He'll look at me like this. And we get closer and closer and closer. He'll keep looking at me. And I'll say, Landon, do you want a spanking? Do you want a spanking? Don't do it. Don't do it. And he'll, and he'll do it. And it's like he knows he's testing me. It's like not even two years old. And he knows what he's doing. He can't even talk. And he knows exactly what he's doing. I mean, it's true. Sin is obvious to all of us. Sin is obvious to us. But Paul says, just in case you don't know, let me give you a list. So Paul gives us a list. He says, the acts of the sinful nature are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity and debauchery, idolatry and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions and envy, drunkenness and orgies. Yes, that word is in the Bible. And the like. I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. And so Paul gives us these lists. I want to break these down for you. The first list that he gives us is uh, sexual sins. And he lists sexual immorality, impurity, debauchery, meaning that anything sexual outside of marriage between a man and a woman is sinful. That's the simple definition of those three things. That means anything before you're married, anything with someone else that's not your wife while you're married, anything getting physical with your, with your boyfriend or girlfriend, anything sexual, and not just technical sex, but anything sexual. Anything sexual. In fact, the word sexual immorality in this verse is the Greek word pornea, which is where we get the word pornography from. So anything sexual outside of marriage, he's saying, is, is a sin. It's doing it in a way that's not God-honoring. The second list that he includes there is what I call religious sins. And this would include idolatry and witchcraft. And uh, we mentioned a couple weeks ago that idolatry is really anything that you're trying to find your satisfaction in apart from Jesus Christ. Now, witchcraft is a bit more tricky. I know that you look at that and think, okay, that's like, you know, the crazy people out there that, you know, they live out in the woods and they kill little animals and they do crazy, crazy things. Uh, and, 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 yeah, that might be part of it. But something really interesting as I read this uh, verse this week, um, the word witchcraft, the Greek word for witchcraft is the word pharmakia. Now, what do you think, what English word do you think we get from that? Pharmacy? Did you say pharmacy? Did I hear pharmacy? Uh, I'll pretend like I heard pharmacy. And so the link here is really clear. Is that back then, this whole idea of witchcraft, it wasn't just people that lived in the woods and did crazy things and worshipped the devil, okay? These were people that just, they did drugs, even back in Christ's time, they did drugs. They wanted to alter their state of consciousness. And, and included with that, there was spiritism and all kinds of other things. But the essential thing was, they did drugs. They did drugs. And so, I know there's a lot of 
talk today in our, in our culture about, well, should we legalize this drug or that drug and so on? But when you look at it as a Christian, I know that some Christians will say, okay, what biblically, what reason is there to not do these things? To not do drugs? To not try to, you know, change your state of consciousness? It, it's right here. It's right here. And, and I want to tell you, I've actually heard a lot more recently in the last few months about you know people in um, in our church and in our youth group you know trying stuff doing stuff. I've talked to people about you know their their habits in those areas, and I want to let you know that if that is you, if that is you, it, what you are participating in is demonic. It's actually demonic. It's not just a a hobby. It's not just something to do. It's actually demonic. I mean, Paul calls it right here. He calls it witchcraft. Because there is so much behind that sin that is not of God. There is so much behind that. It's not just goofing off, having fun. It's actually, I want to change my conscious state. Why? Because I want to escape. I want to turn off the pain. I want to escape. I want to, I'm, I want to get away from something. I want to get away from this life right now. I want to tune out. There is some serious sin behind that. There's some serious sin behind that. The next list of sins that he includes is relationship sins. And if you notice, the list for relationship sins is the longest list. But most of us think of sin, we think of the sexual stuff, the drugs, you know, the real tangible things. But, but Paul, his longest list is relational. And let me tell you that, that relationship sins, I see those kinds of sins killing us as a church. And not just here, but I see it church-wide. These sins kill the church. They kill any kind of unity, any kind of hope for making this place like a family. And so Paul lists the sins. He says the relational sins are hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, Envy. Hatred. Do you hate people? Do you have a blacklist? Do you have people that, that you, that person, I just can't even be around them. I hate them. I hate them. I can use that word. I hate them. How about discord? Are you argumentative? Are you always trying to put someone else on the defensive and constantly argue with them? Are you a jealous person? Are you a person that looks at what someone else has? And you think God sort of changed you? And so because of your jealousy, you can't really be in a relationship with other people? Are you a person who is, uh, has a temper, fits of rage? I love that expression, just fits of rage, you know? You just picture a person like throwing the worst temper tantrum. Are you a person who just gets angry, like someone treats you wrong and you just snap? Are you a person that has selfish ambition? Are you the kind of person that likes to try to climb over other people to get ahead, to get what you want? Dissensions, factions, these are like warring parties. There's this group of friends and that group of friends. We, hate, we collectively hate each other. Warring factions. Envy. Do you envy other people? Every single one of these, these sins are things that divide, things that keep relationship from happening. And I'll, I'll tell you guys that the more I talk to some of you individually, 
the more I hear this kind of stuff going on all the time, and it's killing us. It's killing us. Most of the time when I ask someone, I haven't seen you in a few months, what's, what's going on? Well, I just, I had a falling out with this person, and then they got mad at me, and so I just don't come there anymore. Or this person said this, and, and that made me upset, so I just, I just don't go anymore. And, guys, these relational sins, they, they can kill a church. They can kill a church. The next one, Paul says, are substance abuse sins. Drunkenness. That's pretty obvious. Everyone knows what drunkenness is. But Paul also includes the word orgies in here. I, I just said that word. Yes, I did. I'm sorry. But this is not actually a sexual thing in this passage. What this is referring to is drunken parties where people think of new and creative ways to get drunk. They might take a funnel, you know, and put it in their mouth. Uh, they might, you know, try to drink half a keg in, in one sitting. There are many, many ways that people have tried this over the years, and this is not just a new thing, obviously. This is not just happening in your world. This happened back then. People tried to, tried to find new ways, creative ways, to get drunk. That's essentially what this thing is, drunken parties. And so in verse 21, something really interesting pops up. Paul says, those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. So, here's a really difficult question. Does this mean that if you've done any of these things, that you won't go to heaven? No, that's not what Paul's saying exactly here. Because if that was the case, none of us could be in God's presence, for sure. But here's what he is saying. If this is the main fruit of your life, then you might not be saved. If you look at this list, and this is what your life is basically representing and that's all it's representing, then there's a good chance that you might not really be transformed yet. But, but you can be. That's the good news. But you can be. And so if you've done these things, or you're doing these things, it's not that you, you lose your salvation, but you might give evidence of, of not being saved. And you might need to examine yourself and ask those questions of yourself. Look at verse 22. He says, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. And so Paul here, he, he plays into an analogy. He says, Christian growth is like that of a fruit tree. Which is why I had this robust really full fruit tree behind me. I'll explain this in just a minute. But what I want you to do is, uh, this is like the meat of your discussion from this point forward. I want you to answer the question, how is Christian growth like the growth of a fruit tree? Think about the analogy from the beginning of a tree's life all the way to the end. How is Christian growth like that? Go ahead and discuss.
Okay, I want to go over a few things that really bring this picture that Paul uses to light. And as he, he describes the process of a tree and the fruit that it produces, the first thing that comes to mind is, uh, is that a, a fruit tree, any tree really, has gradual growth, right? And you've got to be patient, right? Uh, you, you can't walk outside and see your tree growing there in the moment, can you? You can't water it and be like, come on, grow, tree, grow. You can't do that. That's not going to happen. And so over time, it takes patience. It's a gradual, slow process. In fact, a tree like this looks really skinny and scrawny, kind of like some of you guys in here right now. Uh, in 20 years, it'll look totally different. It'll look totally different. And so it's gradual. And, and I know that, that, um, that we kind of jump on you guys Every week, we talk about, come on, guys, grow. Let's grow. Let, let's stop being immature. Let's move on. Let's press forward. And we, we really challenge you guys in that way. But one thing I have to remind myself of is that growth is gradual. Growth is gradual. I mean, right now, no offense, but some of you look like this spiritually, right? Right now, you do. But 20 years from now, my hope and my prayer is that you'll look like one of the trees outside. And you'll look totally different spiritually. And so I've got to remind myself that, that this is a, a growth process. This is, like when I think of what I was like when I was a freshman or a sophomore in high school, I mean, I'm sorry, but I was immature spiritually. I was an idiot most of the time. I was, I was these things. And I still am. Ask my wife. She can tell you. And so growth is, is gradual. We have to be patient. That means that, that you can be patient with your own growth. That you don't just get upset at yourself and just bash yourself or bash your friends whenever they're not growing or you're not growing the way that you think that they should. You have to be patient. Secondly, growth is powerful. Growth is powerful. It's amazing that you can put a little seed in the ground. And if that seed is underneath of a sidewalk, that sidewalk's going to move. It's going gonna, it's gonna to break up. The tree's going to break through, right? The, the root systems will, will, can take over an area that is, is filled with cement, right? And, and so it's amazing to look at a little seed and go, that little seed can eventually over time break through a sidewalk. And that's just the physical nature, power, botanical power. I mean, you think about the power of the Holy Spirit in your life and the kind of power that is, is there when, when God plants a seed in you and He transforms you. That, that that little seed can break through the barrier of sin in a powerful way. It's internal. Thirdly, it's internal. Growth is internal. I want you to know that there is nothing you can do to make yourself look like you're growing when you're really not. If you're someone who serves in the church, which many of you do, and you're helping to change other people, but you're not changing yourself, then it's not real change. In fact, this past week I heard a, a, a crazy story where I heard about a man who, at my parents' church back in the, on the East Coast, my mom told me about this guy who was an active member of their church, leader in the church, and yet he was at home beating his wife. And this man is leading people to Christ. He's leading people to salvation. And he's living this way. 
And I'll tell you that if anybody is, you're changing other people, but you're not changing, then it's not real growth. It's counterfeit growth. Fourthly, fruitful. All these fruits are produced at the same time. You can't look at the list of, of the fruits of the Spirit and say, okay, love. I've got to work on love. Check. Okay, I've got that. Uh, joy. I've got to work on that. Okay, check. Peace. I've got to work on peace. Okay, check. When you're transformed in the way that God means for you to be transformed, it produces all these fruits at the same time. All at the same time. And you become like a magic tree, like this one. Okay? Now, I want you to see something. There is a connection between the sins, the sinful nature, and the fruit of the Spirit. In other words, when, when you are looking to satisfy yourself with, this, with the sinful nature, you are really looking for something deeper and something that can be found in the fruit of the Spirit. I'll give you an example. If you're someone who's tempted just immensely in the sexual areas of your life, what are you looking for? You're looking for love. Looking for love. Love can be found as a fruit of the Spirit. It can be found there. If you're someone who really struggles with partying, getting drunk, going to crazy parties, if that's your main struggle, what are you looking for? You're looking for joy. You're looking for happiness. That can be found as a fruit of the Spirit. It's there. It's joy. If you're someone who's really angry all the time, you're looking to make this world right. You're looking for justice. You're looking for peace. You're looking for things to be made right. That is a fruit of the Spirit. It's a fruit of the Spirit. Last verse and we're done. Verse 24. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the sinful nature with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking, envying each other. Here's what Paul wants to say to us. Is that real growth is humble growth. Real growth is humble growth. You can't take credit for your spiritual growth. That'd be like a farmer taking credit for a tree growing. All a farmer can do is create conditions where a tree can grow. That's all he can do. All you can do in your life spiritually is create conditions where growth can happen. That means that you pray, that you read, that you come here, that you try to grow with other believers, that you allow yourself to get in situations where there's a good chance you're going to grow. But whenever you actually grow, guess what? You can't take credit for it. You can't take credit for it. Real growth is humble growth, and real growth should lead to humility, not pride. Not pride. So I challenge you guys, if you're here this morning and you, you find it difficult to, to find motivation to, 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 to put yourself in a condition where you're going to be growing... Take heed to these words that Paul's talking about. Put yourself in the right conditions to grow. I think for most of you, it's going to be here. It's going to be on Wednesday nights. It's going to be praying. It's going to be reading. It's going to be meditating on what God has for you in His Word. Let's go ahead and pray. God, thank you so much for um, being a God who transforms us the way that you do. And you produce fruit in our lives. We love you so much. We thank you for that. True the prayer list in your name. Amen. If you're